Welcome to Inside Seaweed, the podcast looking deep into the seaweed industry through the stories of pioneers, entrepreneurs, and innovators. I'm Fed the Gobby, and my guest today is Oliver Gregerson, founder and CEO of Ocean Rainforest, one of the largest seaweed cultivation companies in Europe, which also operates in California. Oliver is an incredibly experienced entrepreneur and international speaker, primarily focused on seaweed cultivation and growth in the blue bioeconomy. I was initially going to talk to Oliver as part of a very short interview that we had planned to talk about his role uh, as a keynote speaker for this year's edition of Secret Culture EU in, in Norway. But uh, we got chatting and I couldn't help asking uh, more questions and it kind of turned into a half an hour interview which touched on a lot of interesting points and I, and I really wanted to share it with you so yeah it's a bit of a strange episode shorter than usual but uh, there's quite a lot of interesting stuff in there and I, I, I think you'll find it to be um, good value so anyway here it is Oliver thank you very much for joining uh, how are you I'm good thank you how are you very good thanks uh, I hear you're, you're traveling you're in California at the moment I am in Santa Barbara, California, yeah. Very nice. Uh, look, obviously we want to keep uh, this fairly quick, but can you give a quick introduction of Ocean Rainforest? Yeah, uh, I'm happy to do so. Um, Ocean Rainforest is a company producing seaweed in the North Atlantic and uh, now also in the uh, Pacific uh, outside uh, uh, California. Um, producing seaweed, it means that we span the supply chain from we are having our own hatcheries where we are producing seedlings. Then we have our own licensing both in Ferros and in, Fer- and in California where we are deploying a uh, cultivation system that we have developed ourselves. And in the Ferros, we have developed those over the last 10 years. And they are uh, especially uh, intended to withstand the harsh conditions in the North Atlantic and uh, in California, we are then using a, uh, a variation of, of that system as well, also offshore. So we, uh, we cultivate, uh, so, so we produce seedlings in the hatchery. We uh, seed it on lines that we deploy on our cultivation systems. Uh, and then we harvest the seaweed also there in the Faroe Islands. We have our own boat, our own vessel uh, for doing that. And then we process it into... Uh, what we call a storage table product. That means that the seaweed is uh, processed into a dried or fermented or a frozen product that we sell business to business. And that's basically what we do. Fantastic. Thanks for that. So you essentially, you focus on the farming side of things, the hatchery and the, the cultivation and then process. And so you sell a processed product. Who tend to be your uh, customers? We have decided some years ago that we would focus on um, business customers um, so that uh, we try to understand what are the needs of different business segments, you can say. Uh, That can be food or feed or cosmetics or extraction industries that would like to extract some bioactive compounds from the seaweed. And then we... um, we sell to those companies and uh, we try to understand their needs because we know that the bioactive compounds in the seaweed, they, they vary f- throughout the season. And uh, there are some companies that are especially interested in uh, laminarines and there are others that are interested in a high food grade quality. 
and uh, in the Faroe Islands, we we begin harvesting end of April and we continue our harvest into October. So basically over a period of five to six months. And that means that we can uh, supply different uh, types of seaweed, so to say, or different seaweed, seaweed, seasons of seaweed into different customer segments. And uh, we hope we can replicate something similar in California. However, we don't know that yet because we are fairly young in our cultivation efforts in California. But in the Faroes, that's how we do it. And uh, that's how we see also uh, that we can uh, become a, a valuable commercial uh, partner for for the full value chain because our customers, then they are then producing different products from the seaweed we are selling to them. And that can be all everything from, from food, feed, cosmetics, or extracting compounds that are then used into into different uh, industrialized uh, products. Yeah, I was going to ask you whether your customers sort of cover all of the range. Are you seeing pretty much everything from food to feed and, and nutraceuticals, all of the various possible uses, or have you got a predominant uh, section of the market? No, I mean, definitely the predominant is, is feed and food. Um, but um, fortunately, we see a, a big interest uh, from a, a large range of different companies to use seaweed as an alternative source to replace different products, especially because of the sustainable footprint, so to say, seaweed cultivation has. What sort of what sort of products in 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 your case in your experience what sort of products um, do you think the the market finds seaweed appealing in terms of uh, a substitute? We are experiencing a uh, a lot of interest, experience, uh, especially from the dairy sector, where uh, the hope is that uh, seaweed can contribute to reduce the carbon footprint related to protein production in the dairy sector. And we know that there's a lot of uh, uh, focus on methane emission from, from dairy cattle. And can seaweed uh, reduce methane? We know that some, some species of seaweed can do that. But we also know that uh, seaweed can have uh, health benefits on both livestock and humans. And um, if we can reduce uh, the usage of antibiotics, that is uh, also an uh, uh, and, and health uh, benefit that we, that seaweed can provide in 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 uh, in both yeah livestock production and also in in for humans in general. But when we are talking proteins again, if we look at the dairy cattle, if we can increase, for instance, milk production by adding seaweed to the feed composition, uh, then we can increase uh, the the amount of protein produced. And since seaweed does take up carbon and uh, when we grow it and in general has one of the smallest carbon footprint compared to other food and feed products then we can increase protein production and reduce the carbon uh, footprint related to that protein production and i think in if i should say something general that that is what we experience as attraction in the market that there are a variety of industries that are looking at seaweed as a promising alternative source that can do this uh, provide these functionalities what would you say is the biggest portion um, in terms of who your 
customers are. What I'm thinking is, is there a sector or, a, or an industry or a, or a specific use and application where you see a big chunk of your biomass production? Yeah, well, it's uh, for, for, for 23, we expect that around 40% of our production will go into, into feed and uh, a bit the same, 40% into food and then 20% into different uh, extraction. And feed, do you find feed to be mostly bovine type feed? No, I mean, this is uh, what we call the functional feed additive. Okay. Most of the feed products we produce are fermented seaweed because when we ferment seaweed, we have seen that it provides a probiotic functionality to feed and uh, that is strengthened the gut limit of the animals that consumes the, the seaweed. We have especially worked with pigs on this. And um, and the the result is for the farmer that uh, the sows are producing more milk. They uh, they there's less mortality among the piglets or offspring from the sows, and the production of antibodies in the sows uh, increases, so that their general immune defense system is is improved. So for the farmer. It means that they get uh, more milk, more uh, for for the piglets, and more piglets alive, and uh, reduced uh, cost for antibiotics. And basically, they have a happier pigs and uh, and and a more healthy and sustainable uh, food product coming out of of the of the livestock production. Just to, to stay on this for just a little bit longer, you know, with seaweed, uh, we talk often about how many things, how many applications exist and how many potential uses exist. But there's also this sort of longstanding question of, for a lot of farmers about who is going to buy my seaweed. Do you, how, how do you tend to find your customers? Do they find you or have you invested a lot in uh, marketing uh, and, and research? We have, uh, I guess we have always worked hand in hand, both with respect to developing cultivation systems and understand how to grow seaweed and also understand who's going to buy it. Yeah. And uh, we have had a close collaboration with uh, our customers right from basically from, from we started. So, uh, and, and that's also why, I mean, every year we sell whatever we can produce because uh, we have this close collaboration with with uh, with our customers, and um, and for some that that has been going on for the last I don't know eight years or so since since uh, thirteen or fourteen when we started to 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 work on a on a, on a deliberate uh, scale so to say it was small scale but still we we tried to. Uh, to, to understand what we were doing and understand how we can improve seaweed cultivation. I think it's very important that uh, you keep in mind who's going to buy your product because uh, seaweed as a, as a resource or as a biomass is characterized with that it, after 24 hours, it started to deteriorate. So uh, you have to make it storage stable. And there's basically three ways you can do it. It's drying it, fermented it, or freezing it. Those three ways all have their characteristics, their benefits and their drawbacks, uh, and also their cost. So if you want to grow seaweed, you have to understand who's going to buy your seaweed. Otherwise, you can end up spending a lot of money first putting gear in the ocean to grow the seaweed and then spending money on making the storage table. But if you don't have a customer to buy it, 
well, you, you can sit on that seaweed for, for a period of time. And uh, that's not good for anybody. That's a very interesting point. And, and it sounds like w what you're suggesting is know who your customer is going to be before you even put the, 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 the seeds in the water. Yeah, it's it sounds very simplistic in that way. But uh, I, I think many underestimate the fact that uh, the market is more difficult than, uh, for instance, uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to sell a fish. But if you have been out and, and caught some cod or, or, or herring or something uh, and you land it, you know that there will be somewhere, some some place that will buy it uh, at least for, for if, if, if you reduce the price enough. That's not necessarily the case with, with, with seaweed because uh, seaweed is uh, a bit more a complex product, so to say, mm. uh, when it comes to market. Uh, there are not that many buyers of, uh, of uh, seaweed as a, uh, as a fresh material. Uh, actually, there are quite few. And uh, even if you have a dried product, uh, in the Western Hemisphere, we don't have a lot of experience of using seaweed in our daily food production. And I think that puts a limitation on how many uh, buyers you can find. Um, but um, this also depends a bit where you are. I mean, if you are close to an urban environment where you have uh, a lot of restaurants, uh, then it's easier to sell, for instance, even fresh seaweed because it has become more and more popular to use fresh seaweed in food. And if you, if you are farming at a small scale, that might be a very well, a very good fit to, to, small, to farm at, at a small scale and sell at a relatively high price, but you can sell it fresh and those who are buying don't need a lot of quantities. So then that is a, a market segment for you. Is this in any way behind your uh, decision to expand in, into uh, California? Uh, no. 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 Uh, the, the, the main driver for us uh, uh, expanding or going to California was there, is a, there was an interest from the, from the American Department of Energy in the U.S. All right. um, to um, come up with a method to cultivate seaweed in large scale. So that the uh, so that seaweed biomass could eventually become a alternative for energy supplies for for the U.S. We all know that that might be the case sometimes in the future, but we also know that that's not going to happen tomorrow or or within the next first years. But uh, on the other hand, there is a great interest to at least come to the understanding how can we cultivate seaweed in large scale, and that is. Also, something we have been working with, working on since since the very beginning of ocean rainforest. How can we uh, utilize seventy percent of the planet, which is the ocean, to grow something that is so good to take up CO two as seaweed and produce a biomass that can capture CO two in the ocean and replace uh, products that are currently using fossil based products and. Uh, and that was the fundamental idea behind ocean rainforest, and uh, and uh, that's also why we went to California because here we are growing a system uh, a species called giant kelp, and uh, giant kelp is characterized with uh, as the name kind of indicate that the plants can be up to twenty five meter long, 
and we have the opportunity to produce a lot of biomass and then also be a candidate for replacing uh, or being a supplier of biomass into one of those seg segments that uh, many are hoping seaweed can can make an impact on, and that is the packaging industry, uh, to where we can use seaweed to replace plastic. Quick one, guys. I wanted to let you know about the new Inside Seaweed newsletter. Uh, would you like to get a super short email from me every month with three actionable insights for your seaweed business? I will search the seaweed industry for the most important lessons, the most useful conclusions and relevant actions condensed into a half page that I will share with you each month. It's really easy to sign up and just as easy to cancel. So if you'd like to give it a try, head over to InsideSeaweed.com. Uh, look, I'm, I'm going to take uh, switch gear completely, if, if if that's okay. And obviously, we're here to talk uh, about, um, among other things, Seagriculture Conference EU, uh, which is uh, happening on June 21st and 22nd uh, in Trondheim in Norway. Um, I'm guessing it's not your first Seagriculture Conference you're attending? No, it's not. So I've been at many, uh, perhaps on most of them. Uh, I don't think I, I think I missed some of them, but but I definitely been uh, on, on on most of them, and uh, I've I've always enjoyed to to participate at the conference, uh, partly to uh, hear about new uh, developments, new research, um, and also to hear about new companies uh, that are emerging in this sector, but uh, not at least to uh, to maintain uh, the network. Meet persons that uh, now you know it's it, it's it's more than or it's around ten years since this started. So, so some of the people that I know working in this field, I uh, have become yeah even friends and and definitely I know many of them well. And it's always good to 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 catch up and have a talk about how how things are developing. And then also it's a great opportunity to meet new people, and that's what this new industry this industry needs. Um, that we continuously get more people involved and interested in developing. What I sometimes find difficult to call, call an industry because we are still so small in Europe and in the Western Hemisphere in general, but uh, there is definitely a lot of entrepreneurial endeavors, as I sometimes like to refer to it or call it. And, um, and we all want to build an industry and we need all the best people to help us doing that. Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was hoping you say that um, that you that you've uh, attended quite a few, uh, because I, I wanted to ask you if you've noticed any changes over the last few years in terms of perhaps uh, the the level of attendance, the sort of general vibe and, and, and atmosphere at the conference. Has the approach changed in any way uh, over the last few years, uh, or the the topic being discussed? Any anything at all? Yeah, I think you can say that this is a conference that, uh, first and foremost, it's, it has uh, established itself as, uh, I would say, the seaweed conference of the year in, in, in Europe, uh, and, and now it's starting in the U.S. as well, but definitely in Europe. It is the, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's the seaweed conference that you would like to attend um, and um, on an annual basis. And... Um, and as such, it has also 
uh, changed uh, a bit format. Uh, I think it's great that you have this opportunity to to have a uh, a booth uh, where you can present your goods uh, as a company, and you have a great mix between science and and industry presentation, and also. Uh, uh there is uh, there is rich opportunities to 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 network through breaks and and social settings so um so i think the the change if i should mention anything is that uh i think it's good that they are um, traveling around europe and uh with, with, and and uh because that gives also attendance to the opportunity to to experience new things uh, and see how CV activities are carried out different parts of Europe. And uh, and uh, and that's also why I think it's great that it's in Trondheim this year. Are you um, looking forward to anything in particular this year? I think um, apart from coming to Trondheim in Norway, which is a, a great city I um, or a great place to be in, I, I, I am looking forward to... Uh, yeah, to meet those people that uh, I was unfortunately not able to participate last year. So, so, so uh, I am. I think what I'm most looking forward to is to to meet people again that I haven't seen for some time. Uh, and also, uh, we had you know two years of COVID where where it was not possible to to meet. So, so, um, so I think that is the uh, the. Uh, the, the the individual the the, the the single thing that I'm I'm mostly looking forward to. Uh, are you going to uh, speak at the conference this year? Uh, yeah, I'm afraid so. That I have been <laughs> asked to to give a a, a talk, and um, and uh, I'm of course honored to do that. And uh, I think they have titled it a, a keynote sp uh, speech. But um, yeah, I will give a talk, and I will talk about. Uh, some of the aspects that I find uh, very important for uh, development of this industry is very much related to how to scale up this industry and also the financial uh, ecosystem I often refer to it, or I've started to refer to it as, as such. Uh, the financial ecosystem that is needed to enable a scale up of the industry in the Western Hemisphere. It sounds, sounds really interesting. It's definitely a topic that is becoming more and more relevant. Why do you think it's important? No, I mean, uh, I think for for some years there have steadily that there has been a, a great enthusiasm about seaweed as a biomass and the fact that we can grow it and we can use the ocean for it and we can do it completely sustainable and all that's great. But we also have to make it an industry, and if we want to make it an industry, we have to be certain that we can supply uh, quantities. Uh, or biomass in quantities that are meaningful for those industries that are going to buy it or use it. And that can be within food, feed, or other industry segments. So that's one thing. We need to make sure that we can supply enough biomass. And the other thing is also that we have to be cost competitive. And today, the cost of producing seaweed is uh, too high compared to most industrial production or if we want to replace some of the existing biomass uh, that are land-based. So um, we have to uh, on this focus on uh, how can we reduce the cost of producing seaweed by cultivation in the ocean. And uh, I think there are ways to do that, but it's also related to scaling up. And if we want to scale up, 
we need to get uh, funding for that. And we can partly do it through equities, but we also need other parties, uh, financial parties, and uh, to, to, uh, to, to join that funding effort. And we talk a lot about different shapes, uh, different forms of blue finance, so to say. And uh, this is where I see, uh, this is what I see as, as, as very instrumental in uh, enabling scaling up seaweed cultivation and uh, through that reducing the cost of producing the biomass. How would you summarize your vision for the seaweed industry to scale up if you, have to, if you had to explain it in like 15 seconds? We need to uh, scale up seaweed cultivation uh, so that we can produce enough quantities to supply the large food and feed industries in Europe and beyond. And we have to do it at competitive costs. Do you, do you see any particular tool or, or uh, solution or approach that will allow us to do that? Is Blue Finance one of them, for example? Yeah, I mean, the financial ecosystem around seaweed and that involves both uh, investors, but it also involves uh, insurance company that can insure uh, what is put into the ocean because that will make it easier to get finance to the equipment. And that also involves different standardization bodies uh, because uh, we need to have standards both for the equipment that we put in the ocean, but also for the products we are bringing to the market that are suitable for seaweed. So uh, this involves a lot of uh, uh, different uh, parties or di different stakeholders that uh, have a say on uh, making this possible. And that's why I refer to it as a financial ecosystem. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing your um, talk and obviously looking forward to meeting you in person at the conference in Trondheim, Norway, June 21st, 22nd. See you soon. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise.